Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. Welcome to the Bladcast. Christian Blad here with a couple more great conversations with the musicians. One of these conversations can be found on our YouTube channel, a video version, the Bladcast YouTube channel. There were supposed to be videos for both of these interviews, but we had so much trouble getting connected for the first one that this, this audio version, as we say in the business, is its world premiere. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by Frank Hannon from Tesla, who's not only a great musician in his own right, he's also a producer. He's going to be joined by Dino McCord from one of the bands he's producing, Red Voodoo. They have a Facebook Live event this Friday, July 31st, which we will be sure to talk about, he says, knowing that they already had the conversation last week. Then you'll hear a fun conversation I had about a month ago with Randy Rand of the band Autograph. There is a video for that. It is on the Blackcast YouTube page, so you can find it a little later, and you'll hear Randy a little later. But joining me now are Frank Hannon of Tesla and Dino McCord of Red Voodoo. Frank, I've been a fan of for more than 30 years. Uh, we were able to see each other for a moment there, but uh, you know, Zoom being what it is, sometimes the connection's not great. I was able to show off the fact that I'm wearing a T-shirt for Tesla that I bought in 1992, which means I have a 28-year-old T-shirt and a 17-year-old musician in the form of Dino. Uh, I'm very uh, happy that you both took the time to talk to me and that we've uh, had this part of the conversation like three times as we've struggled through <laughs> some technical problems. I feel like, what do they say, uh, Frank? Seventh time's a charm, right? Hey, that's right, man. You know what? <laughs> I'm really glad to be on your show, Christian. Thanks for having us. And that shirt you're wearing there is designed by an artist named Pusshead. Yeah. That was, that's, a very, that's a very rare shirt that you've got there. We only did a limited run of those. So uh, I'm honored that you still have it after all these years. Well, I'm just excited that I can still wear a shirt that I was able to fit into when I was, what, 17. So uh, at least at least I've done some living right. But yeah, Pusshead obviously did, uh, you know, some very heavy album covers and uh, it was always great. And I, and I sort of loved this kind of zombie Nikolai Tesla look. It was a no-brainer when I bought this. And I actually yeah. didn't know. I probably should have, uh, like everything else that, you know, we bought when we were younger, I should have probably never worn it and put it in a bag and you know tried to sell it now no man it's it's great that you've worn it and that you're still alive to talk about it man and i'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be on your show uh tesla's had a long career like you said over 30 years and during that time i've always had a passion for recording and producing music in, the, in a home studio and i had a little porta studio i used to bring to my friends places and uh, that passion's still alive now with this isolation and this lockdown situation that we're dealing with. Now I'm working with young bands like Red Voodoo and JT Lux and a few others here locally. And uh, you've heard the song Rise Up that we produced. Did you like the track? I did. I thought it was great. I heard the, the song first, you know, the uh, publicist that I deal with a lot. She had sent it to me and I'm like, oh, this is great. And uh, Frank, I'd also heard you talk about it on uh, Eddie Trunk's show. I always love when you sit in with him, like on a cruise or whatever, you know. So it's uh, it's as much as I enjoy your music, I always uh, am very entertained by your commentary. So 
uh, it's it's fun to get to talk to you. So I, I like the song and, and Dino, let's uh, bring you into this. So the fact that Frank went around and had the portable studio and did some recording, that's kind of the connection he has with your family, right? He recorded your dad, uh, what, some 30 years ago? Yeah, yeah, something like that. 30 years ago, Frank, I don't keep track. Yeah, it was but, like, uh, I think it was like 89 or 1990. Yeah. Uh, your dad had a band called Treason. And yeah, they were Treason. Pra- they were practicing in this uh, storage unit facility where a bunch of bands were jamming, and I used to listen to all the bands play over there, you know? And this is after Tesla made our second album. It was still a lot of fun to, to try to f- go see your friends at these storage units where they would jam and that's where i met your dad right yeah and uh that was around since i was on the 90s you know my my dad he, he always told me you know uh he almost got a record uh deal but uh then uh, nirvana came around and just swooped it right <laughs> in there from him <laughs> yeah well look you can talk to plenty of guys who had record deals and uh you know tremendous success people whose uh, al- album covers were in the lobby at a record company and then the next week they wouldn't take their calls so you know you hear a lot of those stories it's obviously a a very turbulent business and it's such a, a weird different way to configure it now so that's why i was excited to hear the song dino and let, tell us a little bit about the band so obviously because our video is not working people can't see but you're 17 years old so how long has the band been together and how long have you known the rest of the band yeah so the band uh yeah so i'm 17 and we're all we're all pretty uh in that kind of age range uh, but yeah the, we've known each other for about two years and the band's been together for about two years and frank i'm gonna bet that uh throughout your career there's been a lot of you know people that you've worked with who are like hey you have to hear my kids band or uh can you listen to this tape or this cd that i burn i'm gonna assume that uh you don't always say yes so what was it about dino that really stood out for you that you were like yeah yeah i definitely want to want to work with these kids you know dino has a singing uh ability that's very natural and uh, someone told me a long time ago about singers that the more natural they are, obviously, the, the better it feels. I know that myself, you know, and other singers that I've worked with, um, they have to work really hard at it. But with these kids, man, they got the natural flow. And that's uh, really fun to work with um, in the recording studio environment. But beyond that, when a song has a heartfelt feeling and you can feel that, that's the main ingredient. And when Dino brought me the the song rise up and the lyrics about dodging family and everybody's feeling uneasy in these times that we're dealing with that in combination with the the natural talent made me come out of retirement as far as like wanting to record other uh, bands and stuff. Cause like you said, I do get hit up a lot by artists sometimes to record demos locally here. And uh, you do have to be selective, but uh in this case, man, it really motivated me to want to be a part of it. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, it's a, it, and it, it is a great song. How much was it shaped by what's going on right now? Had it been a song that you'd kind of been working on for a while? Did it change at all, you know, now that we're, you know, living in times where we're all three of us are in separate locations, you know, just like most anything we do is over the computer. Yeah, man. So um, I, I wrote this song about, you know, three months ago now. And uh, I live in downtown Sacramento and these, uh, and these apartments, right? You know, just the vibe of the time was just very depressing and sad. I, I graduated this year from high school, but we didn't really get a graduation. So I was feeling down about that. All my sports were canceled. Like it says in the song, everybody was just dodging each other. And uh, I just had to get away from it all. So I, I just took a drive out in the country roads and I uh, just thought to myself, you know, what I was feeling and how I think everybody else was feeling. 
And I got home that night, sat down on my acoustic guitar and my notebook and pen and just, just wrote the song. Not to get too heavy, but there's so much sadness in the world right now. Obviously, you have people who are tragically losing their lives. But when you take a few steps back, there's all these other layers. And, and I do think a lot about, you know, kids who are graduating high school or college right now. It's like, you know, you're basically at the end of something and it just sort of gets pulled out from under you. My, my son graduated from preschool. So that's obviously not the same level. He's got plenty ahead of him, but it was, it was this thing that we'd all been looking forward to like, Oh my gosh, you know, we were going to go and there was going to be a whole thing. And it's, it's like every day there's just something, some little thing that's like, Oh, this shouldn't be sad, but it is. And I think that's why the, uh, the song, it, it, it works so well. And I know there's also a video for it, which uh, I believe people can find at redvoodooband.com. Uh, yeah. When did you guys uh, film that? It seems like it's a lot of, you know, uh, it's, as a testament to these times, it's a lot of uh, the band playing outdoors in wide open spaces. Right. Uh, man, Frank, when did we film that? Well, we started, we started I know we the, project. the hottest day of the year. Yeah, it was the <laughs> hottest day of June. Uh, you know, coordinating it. Um, the video was filmed by Colton Hall, who's another young, talented guy, 17 years old, graduated with Dino. Uh, this year, uh, one of Dino's friends, he's a photographer, and uh, he wanted a shot at his first time producing a music video. And so right after we finished the song, the whole thing just came together quickly. We, we started looking around uh, the, the back roads here in our area, and we decided we definitely wanted to do it outdoors, Christian. Uh, you're, you're definitely right on perceiving that. We wanted to have it be a, a outdoors in the country and kind of a refreshing change we wanted it to be outside for the vibe and so we found a location out here and and colton brought his his uh drone and we uh we made a plan and we executed it man and we're very happy with the way it came out because you know what it's fun and that's all we're trying to do with music is give people a fun escape, uh, you know, have some fun and something else to think about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then uh, I do want to take a moment to talk about how uh, I, I read that there's a charitable aspect to, I guess, uh, merchandise that goes with uh, goes towards directrelief.org. Uh, Just take a minute and talk about that organization and, and how you got involved with that. We were searching for something that would relate to COVID relief. Um, my wife is a nurse in, in UC, at UC Davis uh, in Sacramento in the NICU, and she's always telling me about how hard the nurses are working. We had a couple other different charities we were looking at, but this one was brought to our attention because it deals directly with the nurses that are on the front lines and nurses and doctors. And so that's why we chose this one, directrelief.org. I think that's, uh, that, that's great because, yeah, I mean, when you think about Obviously, those are the people that literally are in the front lines, the nurses and the doctors. But it's like anyone that you interact with, you know, it's like if you go to somebody at a, at a drive through or at the supermarket, you know, everywhere you go, it, it's any interaction with the public. But obviously the people and you just you hear terrible stories about, you know, having like one one face mask to last a week when they're really only supposed to be used, you know, one per patient. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, glad to see that. It, I'm sure it means a lot that if there's a personal connection. I want to say that, you know, a lot of attention um, in this crisis is put on deaths and the death rates or whatever but really the crisis is in the hospitals and the beds are being overrun and there's no room so that's really where a lot of the crisis is really happening 
Yeah, I mean that when you when you read about it, I mean that's that's what you're seeing. The the biggest concerns are, you know, is that obviously, fortunately, you know, if you're just going to look at numbers, a tremendous amount of people do recover. You know, unfortunately, not everyone does, but when you see those those hospital occupancies. You know, here, I, here in Los Angeles County, that's a big concern. You hear about places like uh, Arizona and Texas where they're, you know, getting dangerously high. Just the amount of pressure that puts one on the system of the hospitals. But again, you need those doctors, nurses, and just the personnel there too. So I think it's great to really focus on sort of that very important aspect of the problem right there with directrelief.org. We'll shift and talk about uh, something uh, a little bit more fun that I know is coming up. Uh, let's see, it'll be at 6 p.m. Pacific time, July 31st. It'll be on the Monsters of Rock Facebook page. Dino, I know you're going to uh, perform, the, the band's going to perform there on the Monsters of Rock yeah. page. So uh, are you uh, looking forward to that? Have, has the band been able to get together or are you guys, uh, other than shooting the video, are you guys all staying apart for the most part? Oh man, we've been, we've been practicing like no one's business, I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, we're on a strict schedule of just, you know, uh, writing songs and practicing our songs. And um, no, we're really excited. We just play a live show again. I mean, even if it's just them sitting on their couches watching us play. I mean, man, I think the last time I played was the beginning of February. For those of us who just go to concerts, uh, I, I remember I, I went to a couple shows in the middle of March and... The second one was like March 11th. I, I, I saw the, the band Soul Asylum at the Terragram Ballroom here. That was the point where people were like, should you be going to that concert? But before that, it was, you know, I, went, I went and saw Kiss at Staples Center and I'm like, oh, it's this huge, big event. And now to think about being anywhere with 20,000 people, you're like, that's so crazy. So it's nice to be able to think about it as, as the freeing experience that it always was to see a show. Yeah, there's exceptions. There's places across the country where there are shows happening. But for most of us, uh, the fact that we at least can tune in and see something live uh, is great. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, Frank, I understand that uh, during that event, Red Voodoo is not the only band that'll be performing, right? You mentioned some other bands you're working with. I think at least one of them is part of that as well, right? Really glad that you brought up this show. It's going to be Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, Facebook live uh, stream, Monsters of Rock Cruise Studios, uh, Red Voodoo. Uh, JT Lux is another artist that I'm producing, uh, guitarist, singer, and he'll be opening the show. My friend Britt Lightning will be uh, hosting the show with me. We'll do an interview with her about Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, and she's going to jam. We're all going to have a big jam at the end of it. I'm probably going to sing a couple acoustic songs to start the show. It's kind of like a variety show, kind of like a, uh, like a Mark Stewart or a, an old Don Kirshner's rock concert or a Midnight Special where we have multiple artists on the bill. And that's, that's the way I'm kind of putting it together. And again, it's Friday, July 31st at 6 p.m. And it's the first live stream show that I've been involved with since all of this shutdown has happened. I know there's a lot of live streams, but this is going to actually be the first one that I'm doing. Yeah, and I, I've seen them in, in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Some of them are just, you know, a, a guy with an acoustic guitar in his living room, and those are great. But uh, I know Monsters of Rock, they, they have that studio. They've done some big ones there. So uh, I know I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, Yeah, I really, we, wanted to do it. I really wanted to do it right. Uh, sure. You know, we were going to do a homemade one, but uh, Monsters of Rock Studios really got a nice setup, and I really appreciate them uh, allowing us to, uh, to come down and do it from their yeah. location. 
Redvoot is really thankful for that. You know, in terms of uh, performing live, uh, I was, you know, reading in the notes that, uh, you know, you uh, got a lot of opportunities to open for some, you know, very well-known, well-established artists, uh, some of whom I have uh, paid to see uh, myself, like Enough's Enough, Faster Pussycat. Talk about getting those spots. And, you know, I, I, you know obviously the size of the venue doesn't, isn't even that big a deal. I think just getting shows where you know people are going to be coming uh that that must be uh you must be able to learn a lot from opening for these bands that have been around for a while right oh yeah no just opening up for enough's enough and faster pussycat i mean just that you know like you said the venue really doesn't matter but just having you know that club type of scene and seeing all those people i mean it really just boosts up your energy when you play live. Uh, and you talked about it, you know, not being able to play live since February. I'm sure that uh, the the plans are to, uh, you know, get back out there at some point. But for right now, you talked about all the rehearsing you're doing, the writing songs and practicing. So uh, are you working on writing an album at this point? Is that the plan to put out a whole album? Or look, there's plenty of bands out there you know, that, that band Dirty Honey, they put out an EP and they don't even have a record label. You know, there's, there's always a, a lot of uh, different ways to go about it. So what is the game plan? And do you know, what, do you, what is your approach? And, uh, and then after that, I'll, I'll ask Frank about the business side of it. Right. So, so for Red Bull, you know, like I said, we're working on our songwriting and it uh, looks like we're leaning towards more of it to a full blown album. And uh, we just want to make sure that it's, you know, the right songs and um you know we want it to be like our first album we want it to be like the first mantras record you know and that came out just blew everyone's mind or the first van halen record yeah so we want it to be really really good uh, what we're doing now is we're we're taking the songs and allowing them time to develop and we're we're listening to, to each song separately and making sure that all the parts sound great and and taking our time to uh, develop the songs and and create quality uh, arrangements that are going to come out you know over the next couple months the ep should be ready probably in a month or so we're just you know and that's what i do with all the artists i work with uh jt lux his songs are developing uh working with another kid named austin and we're taking the time just, you know most of the great albums that you hear when they talk about a band's first album they've had years to develop those songs uh from the beginning it took time for them to develop you know from playing live gigs and you know practicing and so that's you know that's really important for a band on their first album to really develop the songs and not just rush and throw them out there before they're prematurely ready yeah i think that's the difference between you know a good band with talented musicians and a band who goes on to be a great band is coming out with that first especially the first record, you know, uh, Dino mentioned Van Halen one uh, appetite for destruction. There's so many of these, you know, when you hear it for the first time, you're like, yes, this is great. So Dino, I'm sure the idea of uh, focusing on making sure it is great it is important to you. I know that uh, I wanted to ask you about the name of the band, because I know that it comes from a song from somebody that I know you admire, which is Sammy Hagar, right? Yes, yeah, we're uh, Red Voodoo. We're big Sammy Hagar fans, and um, you know he's he's a big inspiration not only to me, like singing, but to all of us musically also. You know, that's the crazy thing about Sammy. He's he's in his seventies. Look, a lot of these guys are in their seventies now, but uh, you know, you, you look at him, you listen to him. You you know, he's a he's a freak of nature, but in the best sense possible. You know what I mean? That he's uh, still out there and and doing it. Well, I I hope that you're uh, able to get out there and and support the the record when it does come out. And uh, Frank, you. I hope that you also get back out on the road because. 
I was very disappointed to uh, not be able to go to the Hollywood Bowl and see Tesla, Alice Cooper, and Lita Ford a couple months ago. Well, you know, that Hollywood Bowl show was definitely something I was very excited about. I mean, that's definitely a bucket list gig. So, uh, yeah, we were disappointed about that one too, man. I really hope they reschedule that, you know. And Lita Ford and Alice Cooper has been a great friend of ours. One of the first tours that Tesla did was with Alice Cooper in 1987. So really looking forward to them rescheduling that. And uh, thank you so much for supporting what I'm doing and supporting Tesla for all this time. And uh, Red Voodoo. And when the JT Lux album comes out, the single, we'll send that to you as well, Christian. And uh, really appreciate your support, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Christian. And uh, since people can't go out and see Tesla live, uh, make sure you get the, uh, the Five Man London Jam album, which... Uh, was an exciting celebration of the Five Man Acoustical Jam album uh, in Abbey Road, uh, which uh, I can only imagine, Frank, what it was like to just sit in Abbey Road, much less actually play there, right? Oh, man, it was unreal. I mean, to actually see the, the equipment that was used to record Dark Side of the Moon and to actually see Paul McCartney's piano and and you know the 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 microphones that John Lennon sang into, and to be in that room. I mean, if those walls could talk, yeah, I'll never forget it. Yeah, and uh, you know, as, as much as uh, I I love the original uh, acoustical jam album, uh, I I think I like this one even more because it's got more songs on it that uh, you know I I've had so much more time with the songs than I did back then. In any case, uh, it's to keep in touch with Red Voodoo. It's just redvoodooband.com. Uh, Dino, I do really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you have to uh, be ready for these interviews to not go even remotely the way you planned for them to. But uh, you uh, you handled it like a professional, and I always appreciate that. Hey, thanks, Christian. Let's let's do another one in a few weeks or something, huh? And maybe we'll have better luck. Yeah, yeah we'll figure out a better connection. Uh, TeslaTheBand.com, FrankHannonProductions.com. And, of course, me, I'm at BlackCast.com. And on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. Everyone's just a little uneasy. Downtown streets are empty. We are all just human beings. Trying to make a way, trying to make a living. Joining me now is Randy Rand of the band Autograph, and their new song, Souls on Fire, is out there now. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thanks for taking some time to chat with me today. Thank you very much, Christian. Uh, now, I would say that when most people think of Autograph, they immediately think of the song, Turn Up the Radio. 
Now, obviously, the band is much more than one song. You know, any band is more than one song. But do you think of it as a blessing that you had a song like that that was so successful, considering how many bands never even get that one, you know, monster hit? It was more than a blessing. It's like still in the top 100 of all time anthems. So that's, that's more than a blessing, brother. Not, not a week goes by that I don't hear it on uh, Sirius XM, by the way. You know, it's, me either. Uh, <laughs> me either. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. Please play it more often. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, you, you often uh, hear this sort of thing about, you know, the, the song that sometimes will become a, a band's breakthrough hit or their signature song. And is it true that you and the rest of the guys in the band didn't love that song and uh, weren't 100% sold on putting it on the album? And, uh, no. And 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 that it was uh, the last thing, one of the last things recorded for uh, for sign in, please. Well, what it was is we we needed two more songs because uh, we only gave them twenty, so they said okay, <laughs> we still need two, two more. Yeah. And turn up the radio came from a jam. It, uh, me and the drummer were playing. Feels like the first time that dong dong feels like the first. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> so that's where that started from, and then uh, Steve Lynch came up with the lick, and Steve Plunkett came up with. Um, the lyrics and keyboard, uh, Isham came up with the, the keyboards. And honestly, the music was done in 45 minutes. And we loved it. RCA hated it. So we had to, we had to talk him into it. Oh, so that's the other way around. Yeah, I mean, that's, but you know, there's, there's the thing you do hear sometimes about so many, you know, hit songs. It's like, yeah, that one we did in 45 minutes. And then, you know, other bands will have, you know, songs that they labor on for months that, you know, the band likes and is maybe a little bit of a cult favorite, but you know, it's always like the single that never quite broke through, you know? So uh, it's great. I mean, look, there's a reason why we still hear it on the radio. One, you're literally telling us to turn up the radio. but. (laughs) because it's still it's still a great song. Uh, there's there's a lot of you know, old old time uh, looking back in the day stuff I want to do, but I do want to talk about right now. You have uh, this great new song called Souls on Fire. I want to talk about making the song and then uh, what you're doing with the proceeds from it. But let's talk about the song itself first. You know where it came about. Well, it, it came about because uh, our, our new guitarist Jimmy Bell, uh, he can't stop sending us stuff. So he sent us this, this all his riffs and all this stuff because that, that's what he does so well. Such a great little guitar player. And uh, Simon came up with Souls on Fire. And then we, we thought, wow, that's really cool. And then we just kind of started building from there. So it started off with Jimmy, then went to Simon, and went to me, me and Mark after that. And it just, it just worked, man. It just worked. Yeah, no, it's great. And, uh, you know, it's uh, obviously the, the, the band, you know, back in the 80s and, and onward had – uh, a, a bit of a you know had some degree of a heavy sound but this is like so this is this is a very modern heavy sound you know that I, i'd like to say that that's kind of like a classic sound you know i mean like when you yeah when you hear a song like that or or you hear like the first quiet not the first quiet riot record but the, the you know metal health when you hear stuff like that you're like oh that's great it feels a little bit of that moment but this is this is great too and i i love the fact and you're talking a little bit about the different composition of the band reading about jimmy Jimmy Bell. Uh, so I guess in addition to having been part of uh, House of Lords, he was Joan Jett's guitarist in the movie Light of Day, which I know that that's yep. more like for show business. But then it's like, oh, I've seen that guy. So how did uh, he's only been in the band for a little while, right? For about a year or so. So how did you uh, end up uh, working with him? Well, believe it or not, we were friends with him and uh, Steve Lynch, our old guitar player. They were really good friends. And so it's it weird when uh, Steve Lynch wanted to leave and we said, Okay, we got to find a guitar player. First, honestly, the first guitar player came to mind with Jimmy, just because he's such a great guy and such a great player. And so that's, I, I gave him a call and said, what do you think? And he said, 
I'm in. And so it was like, that was that easy. Really and you was. were uh, talking about what he brings to the band, which is what he's always sending you stuff. So is it like, uh, does he does he have a home studio or is it more he just like uses his iPhone and is like, hey, listen to what I was working on. Yeah, iPhone, direct yeah. iPhone. <laughs> you know, welcome to the, the new age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's almost like, you know, I look, I'm we're talking to each other uh, on laptops right now. That could be our home studio if it needs to be. For me, it is. But I mean, it's just interviews and stuff. But you know, I mean, I, I've I've seen plenty of bands, you know, just like, oh, yeah, I'm working on this right now. And it's it's on the laptop. So it's uh, it's pretty impressive. And uh, I guess it saves on the uh, the the old big expenditure of studio time, you know. Well, our uh, drummer, Mark, uh, Mark Whelan, he, he's an engineer and he has a studio. And it's <laughs> Even <all> better. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's uh, all Pro Tools, all on a console. I, you know, it's not a console anymore. It's just right there in front of him. Yeah. And we we did get off your ass on on that, and we did uh, souls on fire on that, and it sounds good, man. Yeah, and uh, up your ass was uh, that was the the album from three years ago, right? From uh, yeah, twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was uh, and the the band we're sort of going a little bit backwards, but the band uh, got back together within the last decade. Was that the first new album? I, I should have done my homework better, but I I almost said it was the first new album. Then I'm like, what if I'm wrong? I don't know. No, it, myself. It, it was we, what we were doing. We were doing like. A song here, a song there, a song yeah. here. You know, like most people are doing. And just kind of combined them together and made a little album out of it. Right. Well, you know, we're obviously in this uh, weird time right now. If uh, it was up to you and the world was, well, I was going to say the world was normal, but has the world ever really been normal? But <laughs> if it was for what passed for normal a year ago, would you guys be planning on an album and maybe a tour to follow? Like, wh what was the plan before, uh, well, before life happened, as they say? Well, we, we had a whole tour booked and that went away. And yeah. I think we had maybe six or seven shows the rest of the year. And, you know, we, we're always working on something. It's just, especially when you got new blood in and you want to do that. It's just, I just can't wait for it to be back to normal if it ever is. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of musicians about some of the different ways that uh, people are performing, you know, in uh, theaters at like, you know, third of, percent like a 33 percent capacity or whatever the rules are in the individual states sometimes outside you know you got drive-ins you got all these things and the majority of them seem to feel like okay i mean i get that but let's let's give it a few more months and see you know how close we can get to getting on an actual stage instead of like let's meet out in a field you know and not not like woodstock you know like out in a field with 200 people spread out like they were twenty thousand. you know we just played live in colorado uh is this Saturday? You and did, I, yeah. How was they, that? What what size uh, venue was that? Thousand people, but they let seven hundred in, and huh. they, they separated the tables six feet apart. And sure, no one's really doing it. But anyway, it was really a blast to play live again with you know the amps behind you and you know people clapping and stuff. It was great. And that was in Colorado. So uh, yeah, look, that's I mean that's that's interesting. I mean that seems you know. It, it it seems like that's the way that bands are playing live. And, you know, I mean, I, I uh, work for a, a comedian, I work with comedians and, you know, it's the same thing with the, doing stand-up. Some States are like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing shows. Come on over here and there. So I guess it's, it's difficult to map out a tour, but that's, you're the, you're the first musician I've talked to in these last few months. It's like, Oh yeah, I just did a gig, but I'm going to assume that was the, that was the first thing that came along in, in all these months. Right. First one uh, after, uh, what was it? February 8th or 10th, the Monsters of Rock Cruise. That was the last time we played. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, the, you know, I was, uh, I was talking to the, uh, just recently I talked to the comedian, uh, Don Jameson from that metal show and he was on that cruise and uh, I was saying to him, I'm like, Oh, it must be a bummer that you haven't been to a show in a while. He's like, well, you know, the last thing I went to was a monsters of rock cruise. So mm-hmm. I guess when you go there, you see like, you know, a hundred of your favorite bands, you know? So it's like, okay, if, <laughs> if you're going to go out, go out when it's a, when it's a big event uh, for that. So uh, I wanted to uh, backtrack to Souls on fire for a second, because I wanted to talk about uh, this idea that the, the proceeds are going to benefit Trinity health, health of new England. I wanted to yes. talk about that and uh, why that specific uh, charity or that specific organization. Jim, Jimmy Bell's uh, fiance uh, is a nurse there and also one of the leaders of that, that whole Trinity. Um, and we found out how hard she worked all the time doing this whole time and how much time she had to put in. And, you know, she's in a mess seven days a week and helping people. So we figured, man, let's just see if we can help them. Let's just see if we can give them a little bit of the money out of this. It'd be awesome. Yeah, no, and that's great. It's uh, and uh, obviously, if people there's, there's a few ways to find the song, but you can go to autographband.com. That's that's sort of like the the one stop shop for everything, and they can find it there. So uh, you're talking about how you had a tour planned. So is the idea to do some more songs during this downtime, and then hopefully that ends up being the the next actual album, or uh, it's just. Do you even need to do a record anymore? You know, it's like, oh, we got a song now. We'll have a song in a couple months and maybe. You just combine them all at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's probably got like six other songs are right now working on. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. Um, So, uh, and and so you mentioned that you have a drummer, Mark Weiland now, and uh, the vocals, guitarist, Simon Daniel. So talk about this permutation of the band. We've got Jimmy as well, who we talked about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, actually the fact that you played live with them must have felt great. Um, Had you, and you had all played together at the Monsters of Rock Cruise. So it, uh, it must have felt good. Did you uh, get much time to rehearse, you know, or yeah. None. We just rehearsed at home with videos of ourselves (laughs) playing live. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's a, you know, and and it's, it's interesting because it's not like you could be like, Oh, well let's all zoom together and rehearse. There's like always such a delay. It's like, you can't really do that, you know? So. First time we did Souls on Fire was Saturday that we'd never rehearsed except in soundcheck. That was, it was a little painful, but (laughs) I mean, we got to it. It (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, and and maybe it's not announced yet or anything, but uh, obviously you're open to performing and I'm sure people really, you know, I, I, like I've, I've said to so many people that like first concert for everyone, whenever it is, you know, it, it, it doesn't even have to be your absolute favorite band. You're going to feel like it was, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, I'm I'm sure that uh, you said it was 700 people. So yeah, uh, yeah, that had to that had to be a lot of fun for everybody there and, oh, and for you guys. Everyone too. had a great time, great time. Yeah. I got feedback on Facebook. It's like, thank you so much for coming. It was like so fun to hear that you know the amplifiers and the speakers in my face, and I can't hear when I woke up in the morning. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that that's the thing we all miss, you know. That's is, right. uh, is is waking up the next one, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to I want to backtrack all the way back to uh, you put you guys all put the band together originally in, in Pasadena and I wanted to get your reaction to a, a comment I read and you know you read a lot of things on the internet so I always hope that anything that I ask you is true and if it isn't just be like yeah that's made up but before you were an autograph you were in a band called Wolfgang and Kevin DeBro who people know from Quiet Riot 
he said that uh, that that band Wolfgang was not only better than Quiet Riot, but you would get a better response than Van Halen. Now, and who yeah. obviously famously, you know, made a name for themselves playing these like backyard parties in Pasadena. So is that true that uh, that that band was was bigger, at least in Pasadena than even Van Halen? Well, in, in the whole Hollywood scene, yeah, it was. Wow. Uh, that was me. That was me and Steve Plunkett uh, uh, before Autograph. Right. And okay. So that was the both of you in that same band that went on. Yeah, both and of us. Were, and yeah. I, I can give you a little quick history. Uh, sure. Kevin DeBro, Kevin DeBro was a great friend of mine. Uh, Frank Benelli, always a great friend of mine. Of course, David Lee Ross and I, those guys. That's why we did the Van Halen tour. You know, they knew us and they loved their music. And uh, it, it's like kind of a big family thing. I was I was doing uh, Lita Ford's second album in New York. And I got a call from Plunkett going, would you like to go on tour with Van Halen? And I went, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess that'll be all right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Got my buds. That'll be a blast. They were just breaking through like crazy. I guess it was like 83. Yeah. Yeah. And so the 1984 album. And uh, I didn't even know two of the guys, three of the guys in the band. I just knew Plunkett. And we had three rehearsals, got in a Winnebago and drove all the way to Hollywood, Florida. And our first, very first gig was in front of 14,000 people. Wow. So, and that, that was the first gig as a band was opening yep, for yep. Van Halen. We, did, we didn't play any, anywhere else except for rehearsals. That was the very first gig. Wow. I mean, you want to, you want to talk about, uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, jumping into the deep end is, uh, you know, well, uh, you, I guess there's, there's sort of an obvious question, which is, how do you entertain people who are there to see Eddie Van Halen and obviously David throughout the whole band, but they're there for Eddie and they're there for Dave. And then anybody who comes out beforehand, especially at that time, being a brand new band, did you guys feel confident about the, the music you were bringing to the, to the audience? Or were you like, Oh man, we, 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 we were scared shitless. I, I had moments. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We, most of the shows that we did, we got really good. I mean, people did really well. I, I was shocked at how, how well they, they accepted us. But in Nashville, we didn't get through three songs because we got hit by so much crap from the audience, like bottles and cans and, oh, and, yeah. and we said, okay, we're, we're done. <laughs> we, get, we get the message. Uh, but that was all yeah. big. I think it was like 60 gigs. Yeah, I was reading that you, as an unsigned band, you toured with them for a while. And I mean, what better way to showcase a band than uh, going on before Van Halen? And uh, I guess uh, it, it makes sense that if, again, if the internet's to be believed, that you open for them at the Garden in New York. And, and that's obviously where all the, uh, all the record industry types, I, I, you know, the the weasels, if you want to, if you want to be a little bit disparaging, but still somewhat nice, they probably descended on that show and they were, uh, they were all there, but it makes perfect sense that you play New York. And that's when all of a sudden everybody's like, Hey, sign on the dotted line. So uh, from putting the band together to driving to Hollywood, Florida, uh, how much time was that? Before uh, Madison square garden and getting signed by RCA. Yeah. 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 It's probably like, Four months, five months. Right. So four months from putting the band together, going to Florida, going to. So, yeah. And then uh, how long is it before the, the first record comes out then? So uh, it, it, it took a good six months. Sure. Because we had, we had to write a lot of stuff. And, uh, and they were patient with us. And we, we were waiting for um, waiting for a producer. And it took a while. And it was OK. And when we got in there, we got the record plan. I mean, they, were, they gave us a lot of money. They gave us a three record deal, three million dollar deal. That's why we said we'll sign with you. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and uh, of, of course now it's, uh, it's, it's a lot different, uh, you know, for, for new bands, for any band, but uh, n- nobody's, nobody's getting a three record deal or $3 million. So uh, yeah, to, to think back on that must be great, but obviously you get, that sort of opportunity and uh before talking about some of the music itself i know that some of the other uh tours that you guys did you also toured with uh with with dio and uh aerosmith and motley crew now was this was this aerosmith like done with mirrors aerosmith or was it yeah yeah so i I, I, yeah yeah, i was just thinking like oh if it was permanent vacation aerosmith then you're like oh we're opening for you know double platinum selling aerosmith not the Hey, are these guys clean yet? Uh, we don't really know, you know. Hey, they used to they used to sneak into our dressing room and try to grab our booze. <laughs> we we were told not to let them. <laughs> yeah, which by the way, I I love Aerosmith. I do like that record, Done with Mirrors. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, it, it just wasn't it wasn't quite the moment for them to come back. So I mean, you know, you're t- obviously opening for Van Halen when you're a brand new band is one thing, but then getting that kind of exposure, I'm sure that uh, that that helps. You know, I mean. At least you hope the Motley Crue fans uh, maybe pre-gamed a little bit more in the parking lot, so their aim isn't as good as the Van Halen fans who were throwing. At, stuff at you. Actually, the theater of pain tour. Well, I've known Nicky ever since he was Frankie, so that's oh, how. Sure, I, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and uh, that was really just a fun. I, what I can remember of it was really, really fun, <laughs> and, and the audience was great. You could turn up the radio, just you know, hit the top forty, and yeah. they're out just turned platinum it was like such a great combination of like all the kids are hitting hits all over the place so it was kind of it, was, it worked out real well yeah no i mean that's uh you know i i uh I, I i'm 44 now so i missed out on motley Crue the first time around i i saw them on their farewell tour which is we now know was you know like a farewell sure. for five years <laughs> but uh to the, you know i i, do, I can only imagine like you know when you when you in in those days you get a ticket and you get like two great bands that have all these you know songs that you love and you know i mean look some you certainly can get that now but uh it, it's usually it's usually at the the cost of like well two super big headline bands and you know three hundred dollars later there's your ticket right. So, right. Uh, but uh one of the things i i had was reading about turn up the radio sort of at the point where the song was building it was uh, used on an episode of Miami Vice, and you know, to for younger people in the audience, that doesn't necessarily mean as much. But one, that was <laughs> such a big show, and two, that's at the point where still most of the country only had like three or four channels. So if you were on a big show on a network, like that, had to be huge. So talk about the impact of having your your really your your first album, a song from it, in a show that's you know sort of this iconic show at the time. Well, it was cool because it was called The Little Prince, which is still in the top 10 of all of those. Uh, so that those still play, we still get paid. So I got kind of like that too. Oh yeah, I, I bet, I was, bet you're, a, you're a big Don Johnson fan all these years later. I, yeah, I don't care who he is, I like him. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Don't yeah. Listen. Which, which is good because, you know, what I remember from that time period, a lot of times they would have like sound-alike bands record like knockoff versions of songs. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you got a real song in there is, uh, well, you know, you, you still, you still get those nice envelopes once in a while, which, which is great, you know? So, um, talk about obviously the importance in that time of recording and filming videos, you know, I mean, uh, there's, there's obviously that turn up the radio video you still see, 
for me, the, uh, the, the send her to me video is sort of, uh, to me, that's like the sweet spot for what music videos were, you know, it's like kind of silly, sort of funny the yeah, bands yeah. rocking out in like an airplane hangar or a warehouse. And then of course there's no shortage of pretty girls just popping out of the box. So sure. talk about how important that was though at that time, because it's like, I don't know, to me, that seems like it's, it's at least as important, if not more important than getting on the right on the radio, turn up the radio, but also turn up MTV. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like MTV was only like two years old with music yeah. when it came on. So it, we were like a new band. Yay. Yeah. I, I like that video too, you just said. But uh, I like Blondes, <laughs> like Blondes and Black Cars too. And I That's good like, too, yeah. Also like Dance All Night with all the girls coming well, up on stage. Just to, just to interrupt for a second, what I love about the Loud and Clear video is this idea that the security guard sees Ozzy and Vince Neil's like, no, you guys can't come in, you know? <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh, well, we're Ozzy and Vince, we're going to come in anyway. But just the idea that somebody would say, no, Ozzy, you're not welcome. It just, yeah, exactly. makes, it just makes me laugh to think back on that. Sorry. I, but no, I, talk- oh, I, love it too. I didn't even know <laughs> going on. I mean, I was on stage. I didn't know they were doing that in the back. So when I, I saw the video myself, I went, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. When we were playing uh, Ozzy and Vince and, and uh, the four, three or four girls, who also were in Dance All Night, were sitting out in front of us. I'm like, what the hell? I didn't know these guys were coming by today. That's awesome. We, we've known those guys ever too. But the, see, the, to me, that's kind of funny because I would have just guessed that, you know, them sitting there was like a cutaway. They filmed it over like no, a minute. No, what cutaway? They were actually there. That's really impressive because you <laughs> feel like it'd be like, all right, you know, Ozzy, sit down, look this way, look that. All right, Mr. Osborne, you're wrapped. Go ahead. But <laughs> That's pretty much Sharon who did that to him. <laughs> I think she still does. I think she does. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so talk about sort of the actual, you know, we're, we're sort of referencing some of these iconic things from these videos and how important they were, you know, obviously to you, the band, but also the record company probably you know, we're talking about some of the money they're throwing around. They must have been like, well, we need a good video, you know? It was a lot. It, it, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars because it was, it, it was movie producers. It was, no one really knew what they were doing yet because it was so new. Yeah. I mean, I think our first one was a, um, I can't remember who the guy was now, but he, he did movies and he still does movies, but he was an actual movie director that got paid like a movie director. And it, t- it took three days and we had a huge set. And I'm like, going, oh, really? Is this going to happen all the time? What do you mean I have to get up at six in the morning, be there at seven, and I'm until two in the morning? What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because, especially, you know, there was a certain point where in MTV they started putting the directors' names on the videos, mm-hmm. and then you started to realize it kind of coincided with the point that some of these, like uh, a perfect example, is the director Spike Jones, who you know he did the mm-hmm. movie, her, and a, a bunch of other movies. But you know, he started out, he did did that sort of iconic Weezer video where they're inside an episode of Happy Days, which is still kind of a cool little trick that they did. It is cool. It is cool. Yeah. And so it, it, it just, it seems like a great way for young filmmakers to have made a name for themselves because it's like, you know, yeah, here's a few hundred thousand dollars, which is more than you need for a video, but it's like, great, I can make a little mini movie. And I think that's why, you know, the, the videos of that era, they, they are fun. They tell stories. You could make a video now for, you know, a fraction of that. But at that time, you know, you actually needed to have money or, or MTV wouldn't want to play your video. Oh, no. It was, I think our first one was 200000 second one was yeah. 120000 I mean, all of them were over $100,000. Yeah, of course. It. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is great because uh, I, just to think about that, you know, in, in terms of, you know, mid-80s dollars, that's, 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 a, that's quite a oh. bit of promotional materials. But 
it works because you, you know the the album sells the song gets out there and uh, you know you're able to go out and tour in support of all of it um i know that you guys did some songs for a, a few movies uh two of them that i have in my notes um this movie fright night that i love this sort mm-hmm. of uh, cult movie and the other one young blood now yeah. somebody who just you know likes music never really been in the business does that usually happen where it's like, oh, we have an extra song, they want one for a movie? Or is it like, we need a song that kind of has a feel like this. Can you give us something? Nope, it was RCA. And they okay. said, give, give us songs. <laughs> and because we have movies. And so we'd write a few songs and then maybe one of them would get in the movie. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Uh, you know, and, uh, and then I, I know that the, uh, the, the band actually showed up in a movie, this, uh, this uh, like Father Like Son, which had, which had Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron, which the interesting thing about that is like around this, are you still there, Randy? Oh, I just lost your camera for a second. Okay. Are you still there? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm good. Okay. My phone. Oops, no, sorry. it's fine. Uh, so, uh, like Father, Like Son had Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. It's this weird thing where, you know, at the same time, there was a there was another movie where Father and Son switched places, this movie Vice Versa with Fred Savage mm-hmm. and Judge Reinhold. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's just such a weird thing that, you know, they come out at the same time. That's This still happens all the time that, like, you feel like the same movie. But the point I, in bringing up the first one is you guys are actually in the movie. Yeah. And what what was it like to, was it, like, just slower than a music video shoot and just, you know, things crawling along because it's a movie or was it kind of, did it feel kind of the same for you guys? What it was, we actually played live and they, oh, okay. used, they, they used the live soundtrack and they had about at um, uh, Santa Monica, not Santa Monica Civic, uh, anyway, a, a big area. Um, sure. Cameron and uh, Dudley Moore, they're also in the audience. There's probably about 1200 people in the audience so they could pan back. So it looked like a huge audience. Sure. It, it, felt like a great little thing. So we played like four times and we were done. Well, that, the impressive thing is that they use the real audio because, you know, mm-hmm. you feel like obviously when, you know, a band records a video, they don't use the real audio and a band in a movie, it's like, great. Well, obviously the record company wants us to use the, the track the way it sounds on the album. So uh, they, that, they said it sounded just as good to them. So that, that's, that surprised us too. So uh, the, you know, the, the uh, you, know, you guys do those first few records and uh, by the late eighties, the, the band uh, breaks up. And the thing that I was reading was uh, during the time that, you know, the band was, it was on a, well, at an extended hiatus, you uh, got into leather making. Now, was that yeah. something that you did beforehand or was it something you just were like, that oh, sounds like fun. I, it just, it's, it, I'm fascinated because it's like, you know, rock band, oh, let's just make some leather. What, what, how did that exactly uh, happen from, from point A to point B? Well, what it was, we kind of like, well, it wasn't hiatus, we, we were done. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, I had a friend called Drew uh, who made all of our guitar straps and our belts and all this stuff. And I said, Drew, I don't know what the hell to do. I, I've never really had a job or anything before. I said, well, let me show you how to do leather. So I, he went and showed me how to do leather and I learned how to do uh, belts and, all, you know, all that stuff. And then, our friendship kind of went away. And then I went to Melrose and sold Indian jewelry, which just worked with my hands. And then after that, I met another guy, a business partner. We started making high-end dog collars. So we did that for like 15 years. And then I got sick of it. And, I wanted, and, I, and then I met Lynch again. I said, let's go play. I, I was going to say, you got sick of it. And we're like, I got to get back in the band. So, yeah. So you you guys did actually uh, you know get back together, you and Steve Lynch. 
this was, I guess, just for the NAM show in 2011. Was it just like, oh, we'll just do this for fun? Uh, or yep. did you think, yeah, so there wasn't even like, we are going to be the band again, right? It was just more like, let's just have fun, right? We were just bored with what we were doing. And, and you said, because we had, our first gig was supposed to be the cruise, uh, the, you know, the Monsters of Rock cruise. Oh, sure. And we said, let's get that together and let's do that. And then we uh, got together some rehearsals. I did Kenny Richards, our old drummer, but he couldn't do it. He just physically couldn't do it. So that's why we brought someone else on board. And then all of a sudden, Sullivan, our, our booking agent, booked a couple of the gigs before that. And we went, oh, okay. Like Pins Peak with, with Kicks. And that was like our first gig. And we went, yeah, that, this is fun. And yeah. then we went and did the cruise. And we, and we thought we were just going to do the cruise and maybe a couple other shows and be done. Then all of a sudden, we had like 40 shows. And we went, oh, okay. And we're getting paid well. <laughs> right. I guess. We'll I can see. do this. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I have to. Put the uh, the leather making kit back in storage, you know. Which is uh, fine. Every time I see leather, now I want to puke. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, So you know, and then uh, so that it's interesting because yeah, you'll you know there there are those bands that they'll do kind of like a Monsters Rock cruise and maybe a couple shows here or there, but they don't Mm -hmm. really do much beyond that because you know I mean it's you can do all right when you do that. But so that's great that uh, the band's able to be out there. And I was going to say you'll be able to get back on the road eventually, but you already did a show last week. So yeah. Yeah. And, and we got some shows coming up too. And they haven't been canceled yet. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, uh, yeah. And I think it's, if it depends on the geography of where these places are, there's probably like the States where you're like, yeah, that one could happen. And you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I live in Southern California. Uh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I won't see, I, I won't see you at the, at, at the whiskey or the Troubadour anytime soon, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe 2021. You know, uh, Maybe but, uh, yeah, but I, I've a, I have a friend who lives in uh, Nashville and uh, she did go to a show recently. So, you know, it's, it just depends on, on how I'm, they do it. And I'm in Georgia. This place has been open for a long time now, for months. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Have, so, which they have live shows here now. So, yeah. look, I, I'm, from, I'm from Southern California. I yeah. lived there for 40, 40 some odd years. I lived in Venice and, and Marina Del Rey. So I just moved to Georgia like four years ago. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, exactly. So you, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I, I've, I'm literally at uh, about uh, six, the six month point of uh, not being able to get my hair cut, which is great when I talk to musicians. But at some mm-hmm. point, you know, it's going to be 100 degrees outside, and I'm like, all right, I gotta enough is enough. I gotta go out there. Uh, well, to find out where all these upcoming dates are, and obviously to find out more about the song "Souls on Fire," autographband.com. That again, that's the one stop shopping. And uh, Randy, I really enjoyed chatting with you. It was great to hear all these stories and uh, just a lot of fun to know that the, the band is still out there when states will let you perform, you know, <laughs> but still out there, still making great music. I really like the song too. If I didn't say that in the beginning, I think the, the new song's great. So uh, I, I hope that uh, what you guys are working on means that we'll get a little bit more. And uh, you will. I, yeah. no doubt about it. You yeah. will. And and one day you'll be able to play in California again. Just just not right now. <laughs> no, just not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> not today. Well, Randy Rand, thanks again. Autographband.com. Uh, like I said, I really appreciated it. Uh, that is all the time we have now. If you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Christian DMZ. You can follow at Blackcast Twitter, Instagram, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T.com. That is all the time we have. But I will see you next time on The Blackcast. <laughs>